And it's more time to compute with Point and Click Radio. Good evening, everyone. I'm Bob Lawton. And I'm Jim Hyde. And this is the Bi-Weekly Computer Show here on KZYX, the place where we bring you the latest computer and internet news and answer your computer questions. And, um, well, we've got some... AI-related stuff tonight to talk about. We've got some browser-related stuff to talk about, but I'm going to start out talking about Internet access, broadband, a subject that's always on everyone's mind in this part of the world because broadband access, high-speed Internet access, is sometimes challenging in this part of the world. And the news is um, comes from Starlink, from Elon Musk's SpaceX uh, division Starlink, the constellation of little satellites in low Earth orbit providing um, much better satellite internet than the old style used to provide, and I guess still provides. Um, Starlink kind of angered some of its customers oh, s- several months ago when they imposed a data cap. If you used more than a terabyte of um, of, of bandwidth per month, you would be either throttled back into a much slower uh, speed, or you'd be given the option to pay more money for additional priority access. They called it, uh-huh. <laughs> and that's something that's really popular in the in the kind of the old school satellite 1.0 kind of world, where if you used a certain amount of data, if you watched a lot of of you know uh, high definition movies uh, on Netflix and the like, um, you would hit that limit and you'd be subject to what they would call the FAP, the Fair Access Policy. Um, and when that happened, they would throttle your speed down to a crawl until you got out of FAP jail, and that was like maybe maybe through thirty days. And the different providers had different policies for you know how long you'd have to you know wait to get out of fap jail it would kind of limit you to plain text email i imagine at that point right it really it was better than dial-up but not a whole lot yeah and, and they even people even kind of turned it into a verb they said, yeah i got fapped <laughs> watch i watched too many uh, movies this month and i got fapped i was binging and i got fapped exactly um and one what, of the things that what, ahead, sorry, what, what is a what is a terabyte a month uh, equate to do you think is it is it's it, a lot Okay. It is, in, in fairness, so yeah, so so a, a few months ago, um, Starlink, I guess, because people are really, you know, buying the 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 the, the little dishes and embracing the becoming customers, um, that they were probably running into some capacity limits, and um, so they introduced their own FAP, their own fair access policy, where if you used over a terabyte, you'd get slowed down or have to pay your way out of jail. Um, a terabyte from what I was reading was like, you know, you'd really have to do a lot of Netflix binging to reach, um, you know, that, that, but some people do, or there's maybe a family that is, everybody's watching high def movies, each in their own bedroom on their own devices. Yeah. So, um, so they introduced it. Well, um, just this week, uh, they, um, they got rid of the fap. They unfapped, uh, they have removed the data cap, limit from uh from starlink so you can your you and your entire family can binge on as many high definition movies as you want to um all on multiple devices at the same time if you want and wow. not get 
fapped. Um, so they've done away with fapping then? For they've done away with fapping. That's the good news. The bad news is that as the service has grown in popularity, um, its speeds have slowed down. You know, people are getting about 200 or more uh, megabits per second download speeds. And now it's not uncommon to get half that or even even more than half, 50 to 100. So, the, you know, the, the, any Internet service is a little bit like a highway. When more cars are on the road, the traffic moves slower because the pipes, the virtual pipes on an Internet provider uh, that an Internet provider has have a, um, have a, uh, a finite capacity. And so as Starlink has grown in popularity, speeds have generally gone down, but there's probably also a business angle to it because they've now introduced a priority access tier. You can now get the, the base tier, which is what the original tier was, at $120 a month for decent speeds. And if you are a business user or you're just, you know, you've got the money to burn, you can pay more for, and I'm scrolling through this article to find out, um, at least $250 a month for um, much faster speeds. So you get much higher bandwidth than the standard uh, entry-level tier. Right. This is their concierge service. (laughs) Exactly, yeah. and you know they're still launching satellites, and so as they do that, the um, the 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 um, overall speeds might improve some. But it's looking like they're looking to kind of monetize, make money off of the higher tier of uh, of performance. Do you get Do you that. get a free blue check mark if you get the <laughs> <laughs> exactly. higher tier? Yes. Elon will come and wax your Tesla. <laughs> yeah, right. They'll wax your Tesla and give you a free blue check mark. Jim, the, all those little bitty satellites, uh, first of all, do you know how big actually how big they actually are? The physical I don't. I don't. They're bigger than a shoebox. Are they're they not, bigger than a shoebox? Exactly. Little tiny cube sats. I remember hearing about those little shoebox size sats that people were sending up for doing research and you know, yeah. scholarly applications and environmental monitoring and that kind of stuff. And then the the other question I had that maybe you can answer is, uh, does each one of those satellites have a particular level of throughput? And um, mm. do does your service lock onto just one satellite at a time? And like, does your neighbor's service maybe lock onto a satellite that's a little further east or further west than, than yours? Um, I do know that the dishes which are really cool in the way that they're designed. When you plug them in, there's no um, aiming that you have to do as the, as the, as the owner. Um, you literally like set it on the ground or because it comes with kind of a little cool little tripod or you, there's different kinds of mounts you can get for a rooftop and that sort of thing. Um, you just plug it in and it, after it kind of warms up, it starts kind of searching the sky and it has these little micro motors and it'll go and it'll aim to whatever part of their constellation is best for where you live. And we have um, it here as, a, as one of our um, uh, connectivity options. And we noticed maybe, I don't know, this might be six months or so ago that, hey, it's 
dish is pointing in a different direction now. So it just kind of just seems to have decided that I'm going to get a better signal from that area of the sky over there. So I'm going to move. Interesting. So I wonder if it's a, uh... If it's just uh, busy sweeping around l- l- looking for the best, strongest connection. I actually have a friend who um, started doing this as like a uh, side job. Because uh, uh, um, Starlink will not come out to your house and set your set your equipment up. They don't have, no. they're not like Xfinity or Comcast or one of those places. They they just ship you the, the uh, equipment, right? Uh, to, right? To set it right. up and then you're responsible for getting the wire into your house and the antenna into a place. So he's just been simply um, going out on social media and places like that and, and offering his services and he's really having a lot of success going out and installing it, especially in the big fancy estates that are way the heck out in the boondocks where there's no sure. no internet and he's ha- had a great time doing it. It's actually quite an interesting uh, Job that's interesting. Yeah, that's that. cool. Yeah. yeah, you know, it's um, there are obviously a lot of controversies around it, starting with the guy who owns the company. Well, yeah, um, and we won't go down that rabbit hole because that's because we don't have time to do that. Um, and there's controversies about it's in, about the impact on astronomy of all of those satellites um, orbiting in the sky and affecting ground-based telescopes getting you know, kind of. Uh, uh, astrophotographs that have streaks across them because of the the, the satellite. Um, there are ways around that that astronomers use that make the streaks go away. But um, the bottom line is as an internet service, it's a, it's a pretty good option if you don't have a good local option. Um, we always tell people, go local if you can. Um, there are some great local internet providers in Mendocino County, we're really lucky, um, both inland on, and on the coast, um, from MCN to Pacific Internet to um, to further reach. And uh, it's always better to look to go local if you can. Oh, yeah. If you live in a spot, and there are many spots in this county, in our listening area, where all of the above and other local providers haven't, they, they haven't reached you yet. They, they, don't, they don't provide it. And there are places like that all over the world, not just obviously in the United States, but um, but all over the world. And for all of those people who are not served by a local or major internet provider, um, you know, Starlink is a is a good option. Yeah, um, it's probably better than the traditional uh, dish type satellites with their high latency and their uh, notoriously. Uh, punitive data caps and stuff like that um i yeah. don't i don't remember any of the major uh, services but those were those were higher orbit satellites weren't they yeah they were in um, they were they are they are in yes. geosynchronous orbit yeah. and that means that the satellite is about twenty two thousand miles up into space and that allows it to be because the earth is about twenty two thousand miles in diameter that allows the satellite to always be over the same part of the planet, yeah. even as the planet rotates, um, which means less. This means fewer satellites to launch, but it means that all that distance requires every mouse click that you make and every bit that the web page sends you has to travel that distance. 
And it turns out as fast as the speed of light is, <laughs> it's still not fast enough to give good, satisfying web performance, especially with things like Zoom calls and online gaming for people who are into that. Oh, yeah. Uh, and what that translates to is something called latency, long latency. It's really important for people to, to understand when you're talking about Internet speeds, there are two ways that it's measured. And it's a little bit like cars. People always make comparisons, you know, we use a car metaphor when describing stuff about computers. And it, but it holds true for here. You know, you've got upload and download speeds, and that's like raw horsepower. That's how fast a car can go in a straight line. But then you've also got something called latency, and that is how nimble the car is, how fast the car can corner. And um, latency, low latency times, when, when that's measured, the lower the number, the better. Um, when you're talking about upload and download speeds, the higher the number, the better. Um, but for latency, a low latency means that everything is more responsive. It's more snappy. And when you're doing web browsing, low latency is more important than a fast download speed because your browser is going out and getting, I need to grab that graphic from that server and put it over there. I need to grab that ad and put it on the page. I need to grab that text and put it on the page. It's going out and grabbing all these different little pieces of content, often from different servers. And that low latency allows it to grab that stuff quickly. Oh, and yeah. So that makes the whole surfing, web surfing experience much snappier feeling. And even with Starlink, so latency is measured in milliseconds. And that's how many milliseconds it takes for your click or for one bit to get from your desktop or your laptop or your phone to where it's going. Traditional, the old school satellite systems would have latencies in the five and six hundred millisecond ballpark, which is almost a half, which is about a half yeah, a second. About a half a second. And Starlink has latencies in the fifty or sixty millisecond uh, bar, ballpark. That's like and a for that is that's like a satellite. That's like a slap up slap echo on an Elvis Presley recording. It's almost <laughs> I like it. Almost it's not. way better than a car metaphor. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there you go. And that um so that's like ten times faster for uh as far as latency is concerned. And is that just because they're in a lower orbit? Is it yeah. just simply that the signals get up there? If you put a if you put a satellite about a thousand miles up or 150 miles up, I forget what the lower. I think it's only about 150 miles, um, as opposed to 25,000 miles away. Yes, right. Um, that's going to be faster, and that sounds a lot better, and it is. But for the reach, which we have here, has latencies of 15 milliseconds, as opposed to 50. So that's but that's what, that's times. yeah that's way faster but that's terrestrial signals right it's it's exactly it's beaming right. from station to station at ground level yeah yeah and most ground-based um, uh, terrestrial internet as opposed to satellite of any kind are going to be have the the lowest latency of all right. and that's not only good for snappy web surfing but it's really great for online gaming 
and for things like Zoom calls and video and audio, those things that are very time-based, time-oriented. So there's your, there's your quick tutorial on the ways to think about internet speed. It's not just upload and download speeds. Those are important if you're downloading big, gigantic files um, or you're uploading big, gigantic files. But for web surfing, um, latency is, can be as big a factor in how the connection feels, how fast it feels uh, as, uh, as, as um, upload and download speeds. Yeah. Now, um, the um, local internet infrastructure, especially here in uh, Northern California, Mendocino County and, and the surrounding areas are, are still being built out by independent providers of uh, radio-based internet, you know, wireless yeah. connections from, from one mountaintop to another mountaintop down into all the people that live in the, in the hollows between the mountains, you know, people will have an antenna on their barn and it'll be shared over to, um, you know, three or four neighbors that are around the corner or down the bend. And this is happening piece by piece, almost like a patchwork quilt. So that's continuing to happen. And a lot of times that can be a, a really practical way and a much less expensive way to get, get your, your daily internet, you know, your, your basic home connection than to, um, absolutely to do and one so, of the satellites. And, yeah, and, and the cost is, is, is a good thing that you mentioned because um, all of the local providers, I mean, $120 a month for Starlink's standard plan is, that's not cheap. No. And you can get much cheaper uh, monthly plans from um, from the likes of MCN and, and, and further reach. Um, and I'm sure from Pacific Internet and the inland um, providers as well. All of those providers also have those higher premium tiers of you know 200 or 300 dollars a month for kind of business grade right um, speed or priority server service and or combinations of both but um starlink isn't cheap no but you get the you get the full throughput throughput uh you don't get uh w with the local providers you can get an entry level that's suitable for um you know web surfing email uh streaming a typical streaming uh and and modest size uploads and downloads and it's a whole lot cheaper than than the uh i mean you might be getting eight megabits or 10 megabits or 12 megabits you're not getting 150 megabits you know you're not getting the the ultra fast uh throughput that starlink might have but you're also the money isn't leaving your bank account as fast either <laughs> exactly throughput yes. financial throughput financial throughput. <laughs> throughput is lower <laughs> yeah it is <laughs> i mean that's what i have at home and it's so far it's just you know it's been okay i mean there's times when netflix might buffer or or something like that but it's it's they they're continuing to improve because the equipment is improving you know and where exactly whereas yeah. you might have gotten two uh, megabits per second originally now it's maybe up to uh, six or eight you know and you're still paying about the same amount it's just the equipment and the technology is continuing to improve so so that's good. yeah that's a good that's good news well let's yep. see we were going to talk about um oh i just want to remind people about uh, a couple of things we've We've talked about the email address, hiding your email address. I don't want to go into any detail about that, that tonight. We'll, but we'll continue to review that. And backing up your devices is really important. 
uh, and we've talked about that on previous shows. So those are our those are our two uh, two big topics we constantly are pounding on here because the, the idea of this whole the whole idea of the show and the reason we're we've been on here for almost thirty years, I think. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we've been uh, there's been a computer show on on uh, KZYX since I think 1995, but um, it's to help people. Um, be successful in, in doing what they're doing with their digital devices. And of course the whole, the whole uh, environment, the whole field has changed drastically over that time before we used to have spreadsheets and, and uh, word processors and that was about it. And then it's just blossomed into things like digital photography, audio, you know, audio recordings and now artificial intelligence. Yes. Uh, and um, you still have to back up your data and you still want to do whatever you can to um, to pr- promote privacy of your personal information, and that's um, that's what that is even more important than it was thirty years ago. Because yeah. twenty five years ago, because now there are more ways for your personal information to be um, exposed online. You know, twenty five. I can't. I remember back in the probably the mid 90s when i first punched my credit card number into a web page oh my god i was able to buy something i was like this is weird were you nervous <laughs> i was like my, my palms were sweaty yeah um and and now that's kind of like the least of the privacy worries that <laughs> that, that people face these days what with social networks monetizing our information um, collecting it to build profiles of us and sell that information to everyone from uh, from uh, from advertisers to 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 political uh, interests. Um, it's gotten way more complicated than it was. Oh yeah, back in the in the in the in the, in the mid nineties when when I joined the show was a, which is in ninety seven. Um, which is a terrifying thought to think about. How long it is. <laughs> I know. Twenty-five years. When you think about happen. the way things were back then, yeah, yeah. Well, all the stuff was around in one form or another, but now it's all kind of coalesced, and and the uh, increase in the how much power you can get for a dollar spent on technology is just it's astronomically increased, and that's why we're talking about things like AI and. Um, yeah. you know, computers turning out art and writing, uh, writing screenplays and composing music on their own. That sounds just like Bach or Mozart or something like that. You mentioned something about, um, uh, about the, uh, data privacy. Uh, didn't we have something about, uh, Facebook and monetizing youth data? Was there, um, was yes. there a um, piece, piece that you, uh, I think you texted it to me. Uh, yeah, the, uh, that's right. The FTC the, uh, is after after Facebook, and yeah, it's... the the Federal Trade Commission announced um, just today that Facebook has not been doing that. This is the Federal Trade Commission has announced that Facebook has not been doing enough to comply with a 2020 privacy order, um, and that um, on top of the continuing to give app developers access to users' private information. Um, that Meta claimed it had been cut off, but didn't. But apparently didn't. The FTC alleges that Facebook has caused new harm, perhaps most alarming. And I'm reading here from an Ars Technica article. Perhaps most alarming. The FTC alleges that Facebook's Messenger Kids product, this is a kids version of the Messenger app, misled parents 
who could connect to chat with minors and be and represent misrepresent who had access to private youth data. Um, that's that's scary and slimy and not really all that surprising, I suppose, when you look at Facebook's history of of privacy violations. I don't use the Messenger app. Um, I encourage folks to not use it. Um, it is a it is a privacy violating engine. If you need to send instant messages to people, use the messages feature that comes with the iPhone. Use the native app that comes with your Android phone. Use uh, um, a secure encrypted uh, um, messaging program like WeChat, but I don't recommend Messenger. Yeah, I wouldn't recommend Facebook for any uh, extensive interpersonal communications. I mean, it might be nice to look at your friend's picture of their birthday cake or something like that, but don't get any details about the party. <laughs> right. Yeah, the director of the FTC's Bureau of Consumer Protection said in a press release, quote, Facebook has repeatedly violated its privacy promises. And they claim they've spent huge sums of money to ensure the privacy of their users. So what's what's wrong with this picture? Yeah. We've got a call, Jim. Somebody's calling call. in and trying to get on the air, which is great. Uh, and I'll give out the phone numbers if you want to call and make a comment or have a question. It's uh, area 707 895-2448, and let's go to the phones. Hi, caller, you're on the air. So how do you back up your data? Oh, a lot of ways. What's the best way? Is your radio on? Can you turn your radio down? Yeah, I have I, to get up. I that. hear Hold an on. echo. Yeah, I know. You can start talking. Yeah, I'm going yeah, to. <laughs> we'll start talking. Jim, take it away. We've talked about that at length on the uh, on a couple of the previous shows that we've done, but um, there are a bunch of different ways. One is to use, and, and the best way to back up your data is have to have your computer backed up in two different places on a on a on a on a storage device that is connected right to the computer, a hard drive or a or a, or a solid state drive, a flash drive, and the other is to use a cloud service. Um, and there are a bunch of different ones that um, are either free or relatively inexpensive and that they will automatically back up your data over your internet connection. And um, excuse my voice here. I spent a lot of time in meetings today and talking, so I'm a little hoarse. Um, and the, the, the beauty of having a backup in two different places is that it gives you an extra level of protection. If something happens to your backup hard drive connected to your computer, it gets stolen or it just breaks or it gets flooded or there's a fire or you spill soda on it. Um, you still have the data that's in the cloud as the, as a fallback. So, that's the ideal, a local and a cloud backup. At the very least, at least just a local backup. There are a lot of different programs that can back up your computer. Uh, the Mac comes with a really nice system called Time Machine. Um, Windows has a backup um, app included with it too. I forget what it's called. 
Um, that's a great place to start. They're real easy to use. Time Machine, you have to basically turn it on and just forget about it. You don't have to worry about it. And then you can go back. They call it Time Machine because you can go back in time, quote unquote, to uh, retrieve a file that you accidentally threw away or that got damaged or if your computer's hard drive died. Um, so I would start there. And um, and if you don't want to invest in a whole big uh, backup uh, routine, then at least think about backing up the most important stuff that is on your computer, like um, photos um, or music, um, the stuff that is really hard to replace, the documents that you've created. And you can even do that just by getting a, an inexpensive USB hard drive. They're 30 to 50 bucks on, on Amazon these days. And you can just drag files over it, and which is a kind of very manual, not particularly elegant way to um, back up, but, um, but it works. It's better than nothing. Yeah. Any backup plan is better than nothing at all. I have a thumb drive, but I have on my old computer, there was an automatic backup going on, and I got a new computer. And, you know, I've only had this since November, and yesterday there's no sound. The sound is gone. Wait, you got a brand new computer back in November, yeah. and there's no yeah. sound? Yeah. The sound went off yesterday. There was no sound. Are you talking about this? Is it a laptop computer or a desktop computer? It's a laptop. It's an HP laptop. Huh. And um, does it have uh, sound controls on the keyboard? Do you think it might have accidentally gotten muted? No, I tried everything. I tried making sure it wasn't accidentally muted, and then when I go to the the um, little you know icon there that shows you the sound, it says a hundred percent. And then I was trying to listen to uh, YouTube, and on that it said a hundred percent. And when I use the keyboard to check the amount of sound, it says a hundred percent, but there's no sound. Okay, here's the first thing you should do. Grab a pair of headphones or a little earbuds or something, plug that into the headphone jack and see if sound comes out of that. And okay. that'll tell you if something went wrong with your speakers and your computer's probably still under warranty. So if it really is not putting out sound, you might be able to get a replacement or have it serviced. Yeah. yeah. Jim, can you think of any reason why the, the speakers might go mute on her laptop? No, I mean, I would check just the, the very obvious things of making sure that, you know, the volume isn't turned down or that is, there wasn't a mute button that you accidentally um, uh, uh, clicked. I would try it in a bunch of different apps, you know, play, try playing some music somewhere. Well, go to the, you know, npr.org and, sorry, go ahead. I've done all the obvious things. And if it were on mute accidentally, when I clicked on the sound icon, it would show that it was on mute and it wouldn't say 100%. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's true. That's, that's I mean, Bob's true. advice was right on the mark. If, if you have a piece of uh, a pair of headphones, um, or earphones, earbuds. Is, yeah, is, earbuds. Could it play, could, could it be that anything, the computer? Could it be that anything is plugged into the headphone jack and it's defeating the internal speakers? Could there be something? No. Nothing in there. No. Okay. No. Yeah. Uh -huh. so no. I do that sometimes. I, I I try to figure out why the. Computer's not making any sound, and it's oh, I've got the headphones plugged in, but I'm not listening with the headphones because that'll oh. <laughs> that'll turn the sound off on the internal speakers. Well, yeah, definitely. I I've used uh, earbuds, and I know how that works. But 
No, the earbuds are upstairs, and they're nowhere near the computer, so that's not happening. Okay. And, um... No, it's worth... If, I wonder, so are they like Bluetooth earbuds? No. Or they're wireless? No. You just plug them in. Oh, you plug they're them in? Okay. cheap, cheap yeah, little yeah, yeah. earbuds okay. that you yeah. just plug uh, in. Never mind. My, I was going to go down a rabbit hole for a theory, but that's okay. not valid. I was wondering if the computer was maybe paired to a uh, Bluetooth uh, earbuds, no. and as a result, it wasn't playing through your computer's computer uh, speaker. If you go into your uh, computer's settings, and um, if you just bring up the, uh, you know, the start menu where you can search for for programs and stuff, just type in sound, and it'll take you into the uh, Windows Volume Mixer, and it'll actually show you what the output device is. It'll say whether the output device is speakers or headphone or something like that, and it'll also if there's um, if there's activity, it'll show it on a little live speaker, um, you know, animation. Um, and did, are, are you, were you saying you already did that? I did something. I, no, what I've done is double-check <clears throat> that it's happening on more than one thing. Okay. And I've gone to the icon on the bottom menu bar, and it's... Oh, where it has the, the speaker icon, yeah. Yeah. Oh, actually, then, yeah. If you just hover on that, it'll it'll show that they're speakers and that that that, that they're working. So that's yeah, weird. Yeah, and I've yeah, it says speaker Realtek R audio 100 percent when I yeah. hover over the, that uh, icon. Here's one more thought, and then we're going to move on. Have you tried restarting the computer? Oh well, yeah. This happened yesterday, and I tried all these things, and now the same thing is happening today. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, try some headphones, uh, see if the speakers are blown out or disconnected for some reason. So is that if new? it doesn't work on the headphones, then what do I do? Call the place you bought the computer and tell them it's <laughs> yeah, not, that not sounds working like you've right. Yeah, it sounds like you've got a warranty claim. It was a birthday gift from my sister and all the family, so I'll have to call somebody in the family. Okay, well, if it's if it's a new computer, it should still be under the manufacturer's warranty, so give it a yeah. try. Yeah, okay, good. Okay, right. thanks very much. Thank you for calling. Bye-bye. Good luck. Okay, bye. Go back up. Okay, yes. bye. Our lines are uh, 895-2448 to reach us here at Point and Click Central. This is Point and Click Radio, the bi-weekly computer show here on KZYX, Mendocino County, public broadcasting in Philo, Willits, and Ukiah. Bob Lawton and yours truly, Jim Hyde with you as we are every other Wednesday talking about computers, digital devices, digital issues, and taking calls. And we welcome calls with questions, comments at 895-2448. And I just wanted, I wanted to say one more thing uh, for the previous caller and in general about backing up. Uh, most of the time, especially now with people creating things on portable devices like smartphones and desktop computers and so forth, your um the service that your computer provides you normally will have some kind of cloud storage automatically or optionally available and that's probably going to take care of most of the day-to-day -day things that you want to hang on to like emails the emails will sit there on the server until you delete them and then they're gone and uh text messages and all that stuff is still on the on the server that um that provided the um the data throughput when you sent somebody a message but if you're creating uh 
artistic creations, you know, using draw and paint programs or recording music and stuff like that, and you're creating large files, it really is a good idea to make a physical backup locally right from your computer. Uh, or if you're doing it on your, your portable device, uh, hook it up or connect it to your computer and make a, make a transfer of those files onto your main computer and then do a, a backup strategy to get those files that came off your smartphone onto your computer onto a external hard drive or a USB thumb drive or something like that. So you have a, a verifiable separate discrete copy of that, that thing that you created. And that's, that's kind of what we're talking about. Yeah. We got another call, Jim. Let's go back to the phones. Oh. Hi, caller. You're on the air. Hi, Bob and Jim. This is Jamie. Hey, Jamie. Hey, Jamie. Hey, hi. So, a couple things. First of all, for Barbara, um, you know, your idea about checking system preferences and, and being able to see whether, you know, getting sound at the, at the root level, um, that's a good way to go. And just quickly, uh, a real nifty little shortcut to that because I use it all the time is on a Mac keyboard is command and then the speaker button, the speaker louder button at the top of the keyboard that will open up um, the audio page on the system's preferences and you'll be able to see if there's sound happening. It has output and input and all that. So there's that. It's a nifty quick way to check that. And then the main reason I'm calling is I wanted to billboard my show for tonight because it's relevant to point and click. Um, I'm, oh, good. I'm going to take a deep. I'm going to take a deep dive into AI tonight. And I've got several different things starting in the in the distant past in, in the 1950s with some sci-fi radio theater from uh, X minus one, which is based on uh, stories from Galaxy magazine. And then a really nifty story from Cory Doctorow from oh, a little over 10 years ago, which talks about a, a renegade AI computer. Uh, very cool. And then uh, at the end of the show, very current, just a couple of weeks ago, a show from a show called um, Skeptic Check. <laughs> anyway, uh, and it's uh, some really people that really know what they're talking about, talking about some of the dangers and problems and Structural, you know, as it's being developed, there's some really serious problems with the way it's being rolled out. So anyway, it's a full two hours of, of various aspects of robots and AI. So I just uh, thought I'd let people know. If they're listening to this show, they'll probably be interested in radio games tonight. Hey, Jamie, that's great. Listen, awesome. um, Jamie, um, I've actually heard people quoting Isaac Asimov's Three Rules of Robotics now yeah in 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 podcasts yeah, and bad. in context with the whole idea of artificial intelligence because it seems like that's that's coming up as as a possibility yeah yeah and then this, 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 in the news just a few days ago this guy pretty well-known guy who was one of the developers of ai who retired from google and has been uh making public statements about how he's yep. really worried about the way it's being rolled out yeah, that's that's Jeffrey Hinton. We're going to talk about him briefly here. But. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, it's definitely been in the news lately. And then yesterday on uh, the world, there was a really interesting um, uh, talk about that too. So yeah, it's in the air. It's happening, and uh, it's just good to be aware of it. I don't know what we can do about it, but uh, it, uh, you know, yeah, it's something to be aware of. And anyway, um, I'm going to 
try to be entertaining, but also it's going to be a little scary tonight. But, um, okay. So if you're interested in this kind of Thanks. stuff, That's stay tuned. Yeah, mediogram with Jamie Roberts coming up right after uh, right after this show. Yeah, thanks for calling in, Jamie. That's going to be at eight o'clock immediately following uh, point and click, and that'll be two hours of talk about artificial intelligence and other interesting uh, interesting news. Yeah, that's um, the um, the uh, artificial intelligence pioneer who was working at Google. His name is Dr. Jeffrey Hinton. Uh, according to the New York Times, AI pioneer Je- Dr. Jeffrey Hinton has resigned from Google so that he can, quote, speak freely about potential risks posed by um, artificial intelligence. He helped create some of the fundamental technology behind today's generative AI systems. Fears that the tech industry's drive to develop AI products could result in dangerous consequences from misinformation to job loss or even a threat to humanity. Yeah, he says it's scary. And if he's scared, then I'm scared. <laughs> yeah, it's, there's, there's something to it. Um, it, is, it is like any tool that has been developed that has the potential for um, amazing amplification of, of human abilities and creativity, but also the potential for dangerous abuse. Um, you know, and I've read a lot of articles that talk about the, the, the threats to AI. Some of the more immediate ones are more economic, um, the job losses. A lot of IBM has uh, announced that it is, it is laying off 7,800 people and largely ha- because their jobs are largely going to be done by artificial intelligence. Oh, man. Um, and those are not kind of uh, tech-oriented jobs, but they're like human resources, more kind of administrative-type jobs. And um, AI is definitely going to replace some people in a lot of different fields. And that's probably the most near-term risk that we're going to see inside of the next, you know, really half dozen or fewer years. Down the road, some of the real fears are like there was an article in the Atlanta called "Don't Give the AIs Access to the Nuclear Codes." Uh huh. Yeah, I would say <laughs> definitely don't. Those are you know the, the greater risks are uh, weird. Um, uh, well, the, the, the extreme is, you know, AI's, AI's killing us, <laughs> machines taking over the world and in one way or another, you know, doing something that causes an accidental exchange of nuclear missiles or, um, or, or something like that. Um, you know, in between that is another risk of misinformation and disinformation. It's possible to create images with AI that look for all the world like photographs. And there are often flaws that you can spot if you look at them closely. A lot of people don't look at photos closely. And in a world where there's so much polarization anyway, and people on one side or another of a particular argument are more inclined to believe it because it's just what they believe and what they want to believe, the idea of you know disinformation and fake images or fake videos, deep fakes, fake audio where it sounds like somebody speaking, but it really isn't because it was trained using recordings of their voice. Um, that's a scary prospect. Well, you were mentioning a couple of weeks ago uh, on one of our earlier shows 
about software that uh, is used when they're dubbing foreign languages and movies and they're able to yeah. to make the actors mouths uh, reconfigure around a different yeah. language so it looks like they really are speaking french or german and if you i mean that would be for dubbing different dialogue into movies but what about if you uh, sampled the person's voice came up with a new script and use software to make it look like, like they were actually, you know, like an actual video of that person was was speaking the words that you wanted them to say rather than the words they actually said. That would be really hard hard to detect. Yeah. Especially if you're just watching it on your, your uh, smartphone or something like that. Yeah. It would be scary. We've got a, um, a patient caller here. Let's go back to the phones. Hi, caller. You're on the air. Yeah, hey, I'm, this is a long overdue conversation. Thank you for having it. Um, I, this is Randy from Willits, and I, I'm kind of a leery person for the computers because a friend of mine's mother, she said a long time ago, don't give your power to the machines. They are not sentient beings. They are machines. They are tools, and they are data retrieval systems but they do not have genetic codes of our... We're human. We are human beings. We have feelings. We have emotions. We taste. We touch. We feel. And it's really important that the machines are only as good as the humans that program them. And the artificial intelligence, when I hear some of these conversations going on, they, they're mechanical. And they do not reflect... We have experiential knowledge that comes through our cultures, whether we're Swedish or African or Chinese or Oki or mountain people. You know, we have wisdom and knowledge that's passed along from mother to daughter, father to son, neighborhood to neighborhood. And I think it's really important that we understand that, that we are, we are, we are not to give our power and energy to think that we're machines. We're not binary systems. We're not zero one zero one. We are nine nine nine. There are things that we see, feel, you know, that are are instinctual, our instincts and many things that cannot be measured the you know by by mechanical. But Randy so, Randy, I wanna I wanna comment uh a lot of the stuff that's happening with AI is human output human thought human intellectual uh activity that is being harvested and kind of organized by these uh artificial intelligence programs the, the there's something called the LMM which is the large no LLM a large language m- what is it model Jim? model yeah it's a model of language that these computers are able to put together and it they're they're feeding back to us what we've already created or decided or adopted and that's the that's the scary part of this that it's um it's human activity it's recognizable to humans but it's being directed by these large computer models that can can configure it it can be good in the sense that oh it can like um like intertidal power. I've, I've been researching in my mind's eye for 30 years about getting desalinization, getting fresh water from the sea. Sure. Good to have knowledge and information that can be organized, you know, I, but we have to have discernment and wisdom. And we're spiritual beings. We're not just these mechanical. And so whatever happens, all this technology is relatively modern. 
And I think that things like electricity have only been really, you know, it's always existed. Um, but these these technologies of computers and so forth are relatively new and recent. They're like 90% of the icebergs underwater. We see 10%. And so I think whatever happens, we just, we have to be discerning. We have to use our intelligence and know that we only have a piece of the puzzle. We're not the whole thing. Yeah. And so yeah, that's for sure. The data retrieval system is what she said. And she said, don't give your power and energy away to the machine. You're only as good as, they're only as good as their programmers. And we're all limited, we're all biased, and we're all prejudiced, and we all have error. We're hum, human error. When you talk about the nuclear power thing, that's critical. You know, there are some areas oh, yeah. where we have to know that we cannot trust these machines because if they're, if they're programmed to be, quote, protective, you know, you're, you you mentioned you mentioned bias, and that's a huge um, point of concern in the world of artificial intelligence, because these large language models, these systems that can spit out text, you can say, write me an essay about the history of something, and it will spit out something that looks like and reads like an essay that may well have be filled with errors in it, or you can tell a image generation, you know, give me a give me a, a photograph of uh, of three attorneys standing up in their in their law office. Um, these these systems are trained; they're taught by being fed astronomical amounts of information gleaned from the internet. And the problem with that is that a lot of this information is is skewed. It's not only skewed toward um, uh, different um, races and biases, but it's even skewed in the um, in the in the context of it's skewed toward the West because they're largely being trained by Western companies on Western data, and it's very easy. I've been do- I did some tests with one of the. Um, image generating programs, one called Mid Journey, where I said, give me a photo of three lawyers. And, and it always gives you four options so that you can choose, you know, which one was best. And in all four cases, it was three white guys. Yeah. Then I where asked the for, women? where are the women? <laughs> and then I asked yeah. for, give me a photo yeah. of some laborers. And yeah. again, it gave me four, it gives you four options so you can pick the best one. And in almost all four of them, the, the laborers were people of color. That's just one example of how these um, the, these AIs can exhibit bias. And, how about the um, error of omission? The error of omission. If they if they only tell like every family's history, you know, has got somebody that's that's different or unique, you know, and that that the exper- experiential knowledge. You know, the country's being run by people that have graduated from universities, and I don't think we're any better off than if we were being run by by the teenagers. Seriously, I think there's a lot of wisdom. I've got eighth grade educated Oki grandparents who are the smartest, most beautiful, kind, good, hardworking, decent, common sense, good people, and they didn't have the quote education, but yet they had experiential knowledge. And so I I think it's really critical that we continue to have these conversations and open up the channels and open up the channels of our knowledge because we have instinctually in our genetic code, I'm Swedish and Belgian and Irish and Indian, Chippewa and Cotto. I'm up here in Northern California. We're mountain people, you know, so we each have our, you know, have our our, uh, understanding, you know, and our, our critical thinking. And I think it's important that we honor and what is it the, 
the Center for, um, oh God, it's Poverty, Poverty Law Center, I think it's called. So, Southern, La- teach, Southern Poverty Law Center? Yeah, yeah, and they say teach respect and tolerance. And I, I have I have this saying, one sun, one moon, and enough sunshine for everybody. And if peace is the answer, and if God's love is the answer, if it's all about respect, and do no harm, ahisma, do no harm, treat other people the way we want to be treated, at some point the, the standards and the values of what's important, what do we really care about? Happiness has got to be in there for me. You know, basic common courtesy and respect for the children and for each other and for the planet. You know, if we can get that common uh, thread of commonwealth, of the commonwealth of, of knowing that this is a precious, beautiful journey. Our children are precious. The earth is precious. You know, that we've got to have some basic underlying structure of kindness and of... No argument. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, Randy, I, mean, I, th- I think this... Okay, I'll let you go. No, but I think this is... I, I really enjoyed your call a lot. I think this is uh, shaking up a lot of people to examine what their real values are and the yeah. fact that they could be threatened by these changes in technology. I agree. Thanks for the call. Yeah, yeah good stuff. Jim, I got to read something real fast. This is for an article in the New York Times from two days ago. When AI chatbots hallucinate. Oh, Yes. Okay, so the article starts out, when did the New York Times first report on artificial intelligence? According to ChatGPT, it was on July 10th, 1956, in an article titled, Machines Will Be Capable of Learning Solving Problems Scientists Predict, about a seminal conference at Dartmouth College. The chatbot added, this conference is now considered to be the birthplace of artificial intelligence, a field of study, and the article mentions the term artificial intelligence several times in the context of the discussions and presentations that took place at the conference. The 1956 conference actually was real. The article was not. It never <laughs> existed. Chat yep. GPT simply made it up. Yep. It made up an article that the New York Times had even gave the publication date, but nope, there was no article. The conference was real and the article was not. So it's, it's, it's pretty, you know, your mileage may vary, I guess, is the, what you say. Big time. Case, Big case time. Like the, yeah, the, the text generating stuff, it is, it is really good at, well, you know, uh, about a month or so, maybe more. Um, one of the pre-recorded shows that Toby, I did, Toby and I did. Um, we had an, an, another interview with our friend Morton Rand Hendrickson. Yeah. And um, he talked about how text AIs are really good BSers. And he talked <laughs> about this book that's called On BS, except it's not called BS. We can't pronounce it on a family-oriented radio show like this one. Right. But um, he talked about the fact that AIs could talk a good game. They can create sentences that, for all the world, look like they're right. Um, but they're often not um and the the reason for that is complicated and it deals with the underlying way that they that they actually generate the text but um the bottom line is it, it's, it really illustrates the, the concept of not believing everything you read especially if it's coming from an ai i guess so and if people start using uh ai to generate newspaper articles and just to you know rip and read or throw them in the uh in the paper assuming that everything in there is true correct and factual that could be wrong you know that that whole idea that there was a conference but the the article that the chatbot was quoting never actually existed that's that's amazing yeah 
One last item, Bob, for as we close. A little trivia question. Do you know what the little padlock icon means in uh, in your web browser, in Google Chrome, that appears to the left of your uh, web address of the site that you're at? I think it's been in almost every browser that's ever existed once we got to a certain point, but it means that it's a secure connection. It means that it's a secure connection. Exactly. Well, congratulations. You're in the minority. You are only, you are one of only 11% of people, according to Google, who know what that padlock icon means, which is why, according to this article in a, uh, from Ars Technica in today's issue, Google will retire Chrome's padlock icon because nobody knows what it means. <laughs> <laughs> I guess it's just superfluous. It's like seatbelts, right? <laughs> everybody has it. Everybody has them. You don't need to know what a seatbelt is. It's just there and it's doing its job. Back before there were secure websites, when it was actually much easier to sniff the bits for someone to steal information, um, that was dangerous. And so the whole web world changed to something called encrypted connections. And browser manufacturers started putting that little padlock icon up there to, to give you that peace of mind to know that you are connected via a secure website. And those are the ones that start HTTPS colon slash slash, not just HTTP colon. Right. Now pretty much everybody does it. So Google says, yeah, nobody knows what it means. So we're just going to get rid of it. In fact, I, I think if you connect to an unprotected site, your browser will pop up a window that gives a big warning saying, you're you know, are you? Do you really want to just connect to this funky little site that never bothered to switch over to HTTPS? And the encryption happens between your computer and the web server when you're doing things like sending passwords or entering data in a form or something like that. So it's scrambled when it goes over the connection and yeah. unscrambled on the size side of the um, of the web server. So it stays yeah. secure. We're out of time, Jim. So that that's it, your final trivia question of the night. Good night, everybody. All right, good night. This has been a production of Mendocino County Public Broadcasting. KZYX, Philo 90.7 FM. KZYZ, Willits and Ukiah 91.5 FM. And Fort Bragg at 88.1 FM. You can find more content like this on our website at kzyx.org. And consider donating by clicking the red donate button in the upper right corner. Thank you for listening.